0: Welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I feel like we both got the game show host thing going right now. Like we <laughs> we are really building on that, and uh, we should host. We should just do an entire episode with this kind of uh, cadence. Do you think you'd be a good um, game show host? Um. No, for a few reasons. One is that I just like i I used to love family feud and it's not it's not that i don't love it i just don't watch it so much anymore and man it is it is a special skill to be able to like walk up to someone and like make the smallest of talk with them and be interested in any and fake interest in anything they say steve harvey is like a master at it um uh john o'hurley uh, Jay Peterman, uh, he was great at it. And so, like, there is a very... Spe- we we know about this because uh, I remember they, they talked about it on Never Not Funny all the time because a lot of those guys hosted stuff that, like, mm-hmm. it is a special skill to be able to host a show because you do need to be able to think on your feet. And if there is dead silence, it's up to you <laughs> to fill it. And so, for that reason... I think I've got the cadence down. I don't think I would be able to think on my feet, or I might accidentally swear or something like that. Or I might, or, or I just, I try to like, this happens every once in a while. I'll, I'll try to like poke fun at someone and then I will go way too far. And I realize like, uh-oh, this, uh oh, this, I now need to apologize to a friend, but it would be on national television. So yeah, I don't think I'd be great at it. I feel like you'd be better at it than uh, than I would. But uh,
1: um, well, I don't know if I'd be that.
0: because you, you, without going into detail about your, your job, like you're in, an envi- in like an office environment, I feel like you're probably just conditioned to make small talk uh, more so than I am. More so than you are. I mean I, I definitely am
1: not as social as most of my coworkers. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I, the reason it's on my mind is because um, every, I say this every time the show is on. Natalie and I are watching Food Network's The Great v- the Great Food Truck Race. It's one of our favorite like rea- guy, right? reality competition shows that we've watched since the beginning and have marveled that like 10 10 plus years, 15 seasons of this show, 15 or more seasons actually of this show, Tyler Florence has not gotten any better. <laughs> and he's so awkward. He has like catchphrases. Like he like he introduces the challenge and then he's like, all right, let's get in our trucks and let's get rolling. And every time the let's get rolling thing sounds like he's still not sure about it. And it's been over a decade. And he's still like, let's get rolling.
0: And it's always so awkward. <laughs> and let's get rolling? <laughs> like looking off camera. Is that right?
1: Yeah. He's just he's a charisma
0: vacuum. But I still love the show. That's tough. Like, you know, you watch. I've seen every, every season of Survivor and you definitely see Jeff probes go from being like really awkward, has no idea, like landed this gig, doesn't know if it's going to last. His true passion is like directing and, yeah. and stuff like that. And then just slowly get better to the point now. And I know that, uh, King of the, uh, King of TV, Paul Goble would agree with this. Now he's way too polished. Now it's just like, man, yeah. it, not everything can be a catchphrase. Right. Stop turning everything into like a pithy comment. Right.
1: Uh, all right. Well, so that's how I'm uh, doing. I guess I'm, I'm thinking about maybe applying for the job of host of the Great Food Truck Race. That's what I'm thinking. It sounds to do. me
0: like anyone would do the uh. do the job better. And <laughs> I feel like you—that's uh... the thing—is nobody's held this guy's feet to the fire. I think he's like a he's like a mayor who runs unopposed. After a while, like he doesn't have to do the job well; he just has to show up.
1: But I think that you like—he's also a professional... He's like a restaurateur. Yeah. Uh. So. You know, that's, that's... That's tough. That's my other... Th- okay, I know we have stuff to get to. I watch a lot of the Food Network. And, you know, they often talk about their, like, stable of celebrity chefs on the Food Network. As if, like, they're great chefs. You know, they're the judges on Chopped and the contestants who come on Chopped are like, Oh, I can't believe I am get to cook for these people. And I always wonder, like, are these actually among the best chefs in the field? Or are they just good chefs who are, like tv ready i guarantee it's that one <laughs> yeah, it Has like, to be that. i one. mean maybe they're great I, I haven't ate, i haven't eaten at a lot of their their restaurants but um i often wonder like i'm sure they're i'm sure they're all better chefs than i am mm. but there are probably some great chefs in the world that are just not like yes. don't, don't have the personality for tv yeah absolutely uh, all right
0: um Speaking take, of uh, not good for TV, uh, oh, right, no, sorry. Yeah, we I, have was a, gonna, I was going to introduce our guest. No,
1: no, yeah, I have to talk about, uh, we have to, to uh, talk about our sponsor, TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each every day of our lives. Today, Tyler, I was listening to, um, have, have you heard, and I know you haven't. The answer is no. uh, um, This ongoing project... It's called the Birdsong Project, or for the birds, the Birdsong Project. It is a collection of music and, and, uh, yeah, mostly music inspired by Birdsong. And it's, they're releasing them in chunks over the course of the year. And then at the end of the year, all the proceeds go to, um, the Audubon Society. And then in December, they're going to release a limited edition 20 LP set. Oh, wow. Of, and the, the i was gonna say speaking of star wattage but that was a conversation we were having off before we recorded mm-hmm. but the wattage okay so uh I'm, i was it's coming out in the in five chunks five volumes over the course of 2022 uh volume two is is just out that's what i was uh was was listening to and so this is just volume two not even i'm gonna i'm gonna name some of the names um oh they also have in it so they have musicians but then they also have celebrities reading poems about birds like Poems that usually okay. other people wrote. So here's just some names in this first one: Dan Deacon, Bobby Cannavale, Elvis Costello, The Flaming Lips, uh, Jonathan Franzen. Um, I'm skipping past the ones you don't know, okay. uh, like Mary Lattimore, uh, Jeff Tweedy, Matthew McConaughey, Inara uh, George. If you know who that is, mm. you heard of the Bird and the Bee. She oh, was okay. uh, in in that. Um, Sam Precob you don't know who that is but um, I know that name uh, from something uh, Natasha Leone, Eleanor Friedberger Girlpool Stephen Merritt from the Magnetic Fields uh, Bob Balaban Michael Penn Robert Pattinson reads a poem on this one Yo-Yo Ma does a song on this one Brady Corbett Jeff Goldblum after
0: a certain point George, I'm, starting, George, I'm George. starting to feel George. insulted that I wasn't asked yeah uh, um, there's a lot of people there
1: and this is that's just volume two of five like the first one had like Beck and a bunch of other people um... It's uh, uh, a ton of fun, and so, uh, hey, if any listeners have an extra, like, $450 and want to buy me a Christmas present this December when this 20 LP box set, which comes with a pair of binoculars, by the way, um, <laughs> uh, comes out, I'm sure it'll it'll be great. It'll sound great, as it did, on my TweakedAudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at TweakedAudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to TweakedAudio.com and use the offer code pretension.
0: You know what? What's interesting is when I bought the um, the score uh, for Rear Window, that also came with a pair of binoculars. <laughs> D- that was worth Thank the you. headache. This is going to cause me yeah. editing. This in. Okay.
2: Okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: We're back. 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 And, uh, Tyler, I'll let you finish a sip of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the guy that Elaine sat next to in college. I can't remember what his name was.
0: (laughs) I don't remember either. But But, uh, yes, you know what? I think subconsciously I was channeling that character.
1: Um... You said you were going to introduce our guest in some insulting way. (laughs) Our
0: guest needs no introduction. It's Scott Nye. Scott, how you doing?
2: Uh, I'm already going to agree that David would be the better uh, host of a game show, only because he remembered the ad break. And ultimately, you can be as charismatic as you want. (laughs) You're working on
0: television, you better remember the ad break. Okay, but also... If you watch old episodes of Donahue, oh, it's amazing (laughs) what he's able to do. Like get and he was actually a very generous host like yeah. he, even even when he had a guest he didn't agree with like he was very magnanimous uh but man his ability to just like go from like a very salient point and then right to the camera right we'll be right back it's that's there, it is a skill TV. it is a skill that's for sure yeah,
1: i couldn't uh mind remembering the ad breaks doesn't compare to like listen to like tyler's melodious stentorian tones in my fucking marvel mouth. <laughs> every well, the 15 years I still stumble over it. But every if he's word. just
2: going on and on and they're not going to ad break,
0: <laughs> no one's paying for this, you know?
2: It's all about
1: the I had a joke
0: to make and, you know, I think our advertisers would appreciate a little bit of levity from time to time. If only they could da- air their ads. That's true, yes.
1: <laughs> All right, well, uh, Editor-at-Large, Scott and I, sorry, I know you said he needs an introduction. I, I have to do it. It's a compulsion. I have to say
0: Editor- Editor-at-Large. I try, uh, not to, I try not to say it because there's a good chance that I, I will accidentally say Editor-in-Chief. Which I did. Which miss. is not true. Definitely not true. Eh, so you think. Man behind the curtain. You know what? I feel like I have been seeing a lot of uh, uh, anti-Jason Eakin uh, <laughs> propaganda strewn throughout our articles. So
1: what, are we, what, what we're here to do today,
0: uh,
1: it's the halfway point of the year, not technically the time you're recording this, we're recording this but mm-hmm. I don't... Just a wee shy. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm seeing... I'm not seeing any more 2022 releases that will be out by july 1st before july 1st you know me we'll be right okay I, yes yeah. neither will i yeah um so we're gonna count down our top five movies of 2022 so far this is always a lot of fun for me because um uh like it it's, it ends up being such a weird selection at this point especially yeah. yes. because of the the restrictions i put on myself that i don't uh, expect others to adhere to which is that I've, i'm not counting 20 movies that were released in other that countries premiered. or had festival premieres in 2021 those are 2021 movies i'm only counting 2022 premiere movies Whereas so four out of my five yeah fall so that camp. And i'm not gonna so i'm not gonna there's also a number of big movies that i haven't seen uh, mm. unfortunately uh, it's been a very busy time in my life i moved and then yeah. i got covid so it's kind of a Uh, a a fucked up time but i'm not going to name the movies i haven't seen or the movies from 2021 that aren't making my list uh because i don't want to step on anyone's toes sure maybe at the end i'll i'll uh rattle off some great movies from 2021 that came out in the u.s in 2022 we'll see but uh i think we're gonna get started right sure at number five we're gonna go around the room uh we're gonna go counterclockwise not that the listener cares but uh tyler kick us off
0: number five so I will say that um, at the, I have seen more movies this year than I did last year for a variety of reasons. One is things opening and back up, and also the kids being um, a little easier to manage at night. Like it literally is just like Jen just hang can hang out at home. The kids are asleep, and I can go uh, out to a movie without feeling like I'm abandoning her to uh, our two crying children. Um, and so I I've gotten to. See, I, At this point, um, I've seen several more movies than I had at this point last year. Like last year, I think, even in my top five, there are movies like, I don't actually like this movie, but it's what I've seen. Uh, This time around, uh, I do really like uh, all five movies in my top five. Uh, And number five is Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile, which I'm a sucker for whodunits in general. And I think Kenneth Branagh is too. Like he really brings like a a, a lush, uh, unsurprisingly, a really lush quality to his, his visuals and his costume design and his, uh, makeup and, and art direction. And it really does just sort of put you inside a world that we don't really see very, I feel like we don't see much in movies anymore because it's the, the world of extremely (laughs) rich people. Um, and and I do feel like, you know, maybe one of the reasons that a certain type of who done it has sort of con- has gone out of style is because I think maybe with a f- with a few exceptions, I feel like. Uh, people aren't that interested in like a, a movie that shows their lifestyle without commenting on it. Uh, that's how you get something like Knives Out, which I think is a wonderful film and you do see people who have a, a tremendous amount of wealth, uh, but the film is definitely commenting on it and and on them. Uh, this is done in a fairly straightforward way. It allows us to feel sympathy for characters who have more money than we w- than we will ever have. And when I say we, I mean the three of us and anybody hearing this combined for the rest of our lives. <laughs> um and so, but it still allows them to have human feelings and have and experience tragedy and loss and love, and that's the thing that really surprised me. When you when you're dealing with a whodunit, whether it be in a book or in a film, it's such a procedural, and it's meant to be fun. And this movie is fun, but there also is a real sense of longing and it's going to be alliterative longing and loss and loneliness and love. Um, and it's you have characters that that really do have a passion for each other and they really want to be together and you see like what it, that costs them or more specifically what they are willing to pay um, in order to achieve that. and what I also like is that it's not a vacuum. So many times when you see a, a a whodunit, it's like, okay, we figured out who who did it, so now movie's over, right? Or book is over. This is a film where, you know, because it happens on this you know luxury yacht, and after the 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 killer has been identified, the film continues and it docks, and you see the detective. As he's like standing at the at the end of of the dock, as like the people are coming off having, in some cases, lost someone they love, or this or have been accused of something, um, and then you see the actual bodies being taken taken out, and you realize like it's like yes, of course, this is an exercise in genre, but it also is it allows these characters to feel these things and that includes, like for some of them, their lives are shattered. Like they, it may have been a fun thing for us and hey, the higher the body count, the better, but it's like, yeah, but if we are going to treat these characters as real people with real emotions, then this is like the worst time of their life. Um, And I think that's a tremendous maturity combined with the fact that it still manages to be a very effective whodunit. And I think it's got a great cast. I think Brana himself as uh, Poirot does a great job. Uh, Special mention, uh, I I can't imagine. I I feel like she'll be in my BP selection for supporting actress for the entire year. A lot of this stuff is probably going to fall off over the year. This one is not, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Sophia Okonedo. Uh, who plays and and I might be mispronouncing it but like she plays a uh, sort of a a, a torch singer um, who is you know she's tough and she's brash uh, and there's sort of a bit of a flare between her and and Poirot and the two of them have real chemistry and she herself is just you you can't take your eyes off her she's doing really amazing things with that part Uh, and it's just a film that you know it 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 came and went at the theaters. Uh, not super surprised about that. Uh, I Again, I just don't think this is a, a genre that's in fashion anymore. But if you're a fan of these kind of things and you appreciate its sincerity while also trying to deepen the genre a little bit, uh, I think you'll really like it. I absolutely loved it.
2: I think it probably would have been more popular sans pandemic. Just because oh, older, sure. older people weren't going to the movies as much yeah. during that time. Yeah. There's still like it's came out like February, so it's still like the Omicron hangover thing um and the first yeah. one was like hugely successful so i yeah. think there is an audience for it just no one was going yeah to it's to uh, yeah
0: it's definitely I, I do think it is a uh, what do you call it a casualty of yeah. of that yes
1: all right um uh, my num- number five is a. Uh, know I, I didn't do sundance uh virtual sundance th- this year um but uh one of the uh sundance premieres they got a quick pipeline to release uh, in in april is a macedonian film Goran stulevsky's you won't be alone um the uh is that a threat or a comfort um uh, <laughs> i you know i think it actually is both all right um this uh, depends so on you if you uh you know shape up <laughs> uh scott i take it you haven't seen it no because it's it's a subcategory movie that i know you're a fan of oh. you, you and i did a whole episode on it while tyler was was out of town once uh it's a movie about witches it's a witch right movie mm. um and you'll see if you all the like uh, you know art for the movie the 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 ads and key art always they all focus on numi ripas because she's the only like name person who's in it but it's a I don't want to give too much of the, uh, of the movie away, but it's kind of an ensemble piece, except kind of like Todd Solon's palindrome. It's everyone's palindromes, I think. Um, all all the main characters are playing the same character, but it's uh, different women at different times. Hmm. But whereas in palindromes, that was just something that happened, here it has a witchy like explanation for why these people keep sort of like changing the way they look or taking over new bodies or whatever. So Numeripas is in one section of the movie. She's not any more the star than any of the other women uh, or girls um, uh, at the beginning of the movie who play uh, this, this character. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm trying not to, to, it's, it's just a, it's a, um, it's probably not going to, like I said, it's number five now. It's not going to hang out in my, in my top 10, but I kind of want to just highlight the movie for being as, like uncompromisingly like uncommercial <laughs> as it is um it's uh, uh it, it's it's in a one four four to one aspect ratio which is like imax i think but it's not an imax movie wouldn't that be something uh, that it? would be fun yeah um but the like I'll, I'll describe just the opening scene you see a cat it's like the camera's like ground level you see you see a cat and the cat sort of leaves the frame you hear something you will later understand what it is and then suddenly you are in the cat's POV and the cat is like running through it's like you know uh, I'm, I'm not sure what you know medieval uh, uh, age like uh, rural macedonian like running through these fields and running into homes and then like she arrives in the home of a woman who has a newborn and then you look away and you look back and there's a like gnarled like burnt skin naked old witch sitting there and then some more terrible things happen and then like it just keeps uh uh changing who the protagonist or who at least who the actress is who's playing the protagonist but man there's so many things that i wanted (laughs) to talk about like the way the film is like like the 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 structuralism of the film, but like, I feel like I have to talk about too much of the story, but basically the baby that I described being in that room, that's the main character. That's where the movie starts and it follows her through her life as she, you know, basically is turned into a witch and then becomes all these different uh, women. But one of the things that also happens in that uh, opening scene is she loses her tongue and no matter which body she's in, she can't really talk. So the movie is, narrated by someone who it's it's narrated by someone who doesn't have a full grasp of language, and so the narration it's in Macedonian, but the subtitles are all like broken like sentence fragments the entire mm. time. The sound feels like it's whispery but loud at the same time like it feels like someone like inside their own head, yeah it's intentionally like. It's, I found it I found it very compelling I could also see some finding it very off-putting uh, a, a, at the same time but um, uh, ultimately I think the so the, the movie is very uh, tactile and experiential it's very muddy and bloody and gross and and, and dirty and physical um, but it's also about yeah, I, I think this 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 woman going from woman to woman from person to person is kind of a metaphor for like oral tradition and and Mm. and uh you know her not understanding how to talk is also like there's illiteracy but that's not the same as not having stories you know um and so uh i I think that's what the movie is 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 getting at but uh i i found it too um just too much of an uncommon experience
2: while watching it to not to not highlight it All right. Uh, Yeah, for similar reasons, actually. um, That's why I picked my number five, Saul Williams and Anisha Uzeman's Neptune Frost. Um, No danger of me accidentally spoiling too much because I could not follow a thing that was going (laughs) on in this. Um, It's like an Afrofuturist sci-fi vaguely musical, but very like elliptical and experimental Um, meditation on I guess like technology taking over our lives and stuff but again wasn't following it very much and uh, that's okay I don't really care it's a total vibe and um, gave me kind of the thrill I get from watching like a Godard movie where there's a lot of like very direct political pronouncements about like the state of man and the nature of society and stuff like that mixed in with like just weird visual stuff um, and all kind of jumbled together in a very non-narrative way, but super cool. Like, the people in it are cool. The way they're saying their nonsense things are super cool. Um, it goes on these trippy kind of total experimental, like, animated uh, sidejourn, Sidejourns? Sojourns. Sojourns? Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. I'm trying to say two things at once um, that kind of deviate from the plot, but kind of, like, relate to the general theme of it all. Um, yeah, I... One of the things I always try to highlight with experimental and avant-garde filmmaking is that, like, it's okay if it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's just there to be a vibe. And, like, you don't have to, like, grok everything they're laying down. You can just, like, take a throw at the weird visuals, the cool tones of it, and just take it all in. And as with David, this is my number five right now. Probably not going to come out the end of the year and still be in the top ten. But I did want to highlight it
0: because uh, I had a great time watching it. All right. All right, on to number four. Yeah, enough of this uh, weird shit. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Matt Reeves' The Batman, which nearly uh, yeah. really made my top five. Okay, really? Oh, I didn't. So oh, I didn't know that. Okay. If okay,
1: if it had been on yours, we would have put a pin in it. Yeah, right? right. Okay. Yes.
0: Um yeah so this is a film i was certainly looking forward to it i remember seeing teasers and that sort of thing and just thinking like oh i'm really enjoying where they're headed with this from a visual standpoint from a tonal standpoint i don't give a shit if it's dark people are saying like oh it's 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 a batman movie so it's dark it's like dark is neutral like it's it, it it can be done well it can be done poorly but i think this film one of the things that i that i like about it is yeah it's called the batman but really it I suppose there's already a show called Gotham, but it feels like it could be called Gotham city because in he, as he is investigating, uh, this larger case. And I think that's another thing that people have pointed to myself included as like a thing they like about it. Is that like, this is a very complex case and he is looking into it. Uh, and along the and that means that he is engaging with different aspects of the city, whether it be political corruption or the actual criminal underworld or, you know, uh, Sort of fringe elements and victims within the city, uh, and so you really get a portrait of of this uh, of this city, um, all in service of this case. And I think that's something that, you know, I, I don't consider myself necessarily a comic book fan. Not that I don't like them, but because I just haven't read them in a while. But um, but even I have have read stuff from years ago, like the Long Halloween and Hush, and like kind of these sort of. I don't think they're called miniseries. I'm sure they're called something else. They are uh, called miniseries. Well, Hush was a in the main comic book, so it wouldn't be a mini series. Okay, but Long Halloween was okay. Um, so it's yeah, and those tend to be like these sort of little self-contained stories that might ha- you know, they they might have like larger implications <clears throat> in the series, but there is something to be said. Uh, no Man's Land was was another one that I really responded to. Yeah. Um, and so I really like that sort of thing. And this f- is the first movie that has felt like that. Um. And along the way, one of the things that I really respond to, because I think it's a good-looking movie, I think it wonderful sound design, I think Michael Giacchino is like doing great stuff with that score, um, specifically that theme, which is bombastic and frightening, and like reminded me of like the music from the Hateful Eight, and it's just like, <laughs> and and I appreciate that. Like, it's not an adventurous theme; it is like filled with dread, um, and I appreciate that. But I think what I also really like is. Something that people often uh, cited as like a a potential negative, which is Batman himself and the fact that he's rarely Bruce, he's rarely Bruce Wayne, and when he is, he's like this emo Bruce Wayne, and it's like, and I I don't like when people say that, but and it's like, oh, and he's all mopey and stuff. It's like, yeah, like he is still in the throes of PTSD and mourning, and he will not let himself move on. That's a big part of it, and. The fact that he is Batman so much of the time is is exciting, and it also speaks volumes about who he is and where he is at this point. He is not, I've, I'm not often interested in Batman Year One stuff. This yeah. movie made me interested in it because you see his relationship with Alfred, you see his relationship with the concept of crime, and. And the concept of vengeance. And I feel like this is a film that really explores the idea. Uh, and incidentally, my next film is also going to talk about vengeance. Um, as this thing that's like, it is. There is a difference between vengeance and justice. And if you try to embrace vengeance, that is going that will that will hurt everyone involved to the point that even when Batman saves someone, the obvious rage and the danger that he exudes does not comf- bring comfort to his victims. And I definitely think that that is, given just the 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 world right now, like there is a lot of anger, and I would say that's justifiable. And so having a film where a character that we all know fights for justice um, and fights for people that can't really fight for themselves, um, and even he recognizes that anger will only take you so far. You eventually have to move past that if you're going to make a lasting difference like a, a larger difference and inspire other people and I just think it, it just it did so many things that I wasn't expecting it to do and that I feel like previous Batman movies hadn't done like at this point there have been so many of them it's like I did have thoughts like what what is it going to do that they haven't done before. And that's really dig into sort of the philosophical, Nolan's films do this a little bit, but like the philosophical flaws in Batman being who he is and learning that he needs to embrace more than anger and vengeance and needs to be bigger than that, which forces him then to genuinely mourn and grieve, because that is a process. And when you come out of it, yes, of course, the person is not back and you still love them and you still miss them but you're able to continue on with your life and in his case like learning something uh, and applying it to to his larger goal and so I I it really struck me and and I and I saw it this isn't something I I, I try not to say this very often but like I saw it in the theater and I'm very glad I did because that sound design was oh yeah amazing
2: yeah uh I mostly agree, especially like the idea that he's kind of like unformed and still figuring out. And it has that great bit where he has hasn't figured out his like parachute system or whatever and totally fucks it up. And it doesn't come back as like a thing he later masters and nails to like beat the bad guy. It's just like this weird little side bit. That's like, Oh yeah. He's still figuring out how to be Batman.
0: Yeah. And Um, I do like, yeah, it's not that that comes back. If, if he's anything like me, he's like, all right. So we're never never trying that again. again, Right. That was a big fail. (laughs)
2: Um, yeah. On the whole, actually, I think this is kind of a flip side to Neptune frost where, there's times where I think it's, like, aggressively dumb in sure. a way that's ca- kind of fine. Like, the whole central mystery of, like, a rat with wings or whatever, and they, like, keep coming back to him, like, surely we could have figured this out there, by now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and, like, look, I know you're new at this, Yeah. but even I knew and there's what's like going on here. dumb comic book
2: stuff where, like, there's way too much laid out ahead of time before it gets to a crime scene. And sure. Or like, but that's also kind of what I dug about it, That's very, like, graphically oriented, and mm-hmm. it felt like the first Batman movie definitely said the Burton ones but even kind of including those where it felt like the director had read comic books and like really loved comic books and yeah. it wasn't like an excuse to make a movie out of a comic book it was like trying to figure out the visual language of that and bring it to movies so you get a lot of good kind of use of color there's like very simplistic like two tonal uh, shots and sequences that um are very graphically exciting um and just on a whole Matt Reeves I don't think he's like an auteur by any means, but he's such a skilled assembler of images and sequences and stuff. Yeah. And it's been a while since we've seen that kind of skill brought to these kind of movies. And so that's, that was exciting for me.
0: I remember, you know, when, for a short time, when Ben Affleck was going to make a Batman movie with his Batman, I remember being like, that's, that's great. I want that because as a director, I like a lot of his instinct. There's instincts. There's a real sturdiness to the way he makes movies. And then when I, then that went away and I was sad, but then it's like, Oh, Matt Reeves is going to make one. It's like, Oh, I do think of him that way. Like the very workman, like gets this, gets the job done. Not necessarily an auteur, but certainly no slouch. Like, I feel like I'm in good hands when I'm seeing one of his movies. Yeah. I was into it.
1: Um, I have, uh, Uh, speaking of Ben Affleck I have uh, a Trivial Pursuit game from the late 2000s that has a one of the cards has a question that's like which of the following actors has never played Batman and the answer (laughs) is Ben Affleck because it's from like 2008 or whatever yeah (laughs) Uh, anyway Uh, so my number four but don't get comfortable because I feel like we might be moving on okay David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future
0: no just missed mine I still haven't seen it
1: oh I thought you had okay um uh yeah well shit I wasn't really prepared I thought for sure we'd be talking
0: about it later we can come um, back to it if you want we can uh, jumble these uh, numbers all up
1: no um uh I think the thing that one one thing that I like about um David Cronenberg's stuff is that it's like I think people like they 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 dwell too much on the like crazy shit's gonna happen and crazy shit like does happen he but, delivers <laughs> but it, it, he's not like a purely fantastical filmmaker his stuff is also always very rooted and earthy and physical which makes the body horror and stuff all the more uh, uh un, unsettling um but here uh, i i think the 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 way that he's dealing with <laughs> the movie reminded me or It made me think of Annihilation, which is another movie about, like, things are changing. There's there's more body horror in Annihilation. Like, things are changing. The world is changing. Humanity is going to have to change, and there's nothing that we can do about it. And I think um, Annihilation, a movie that I like a lot, um, I think makes some pains to try to come to peace with that. Takes some pains. You don't make pains. You take pains. Um, None of us can talk today. Um, to, fuck uh, you! Talking about <laughs> yeah, I guess you're the only one who's Nailing uh, doing yeah, great. Yeah, uh, too great. Uh, <laughs> A little too great. <laughs> I w- like Annihilation wants to make peace with that sort of surrender, and I don't. And and Crimes of the Future doesn't seem to like arrive at like here's how we should feel about the world changing and and, and us having to change. It's just like this is happening, and it's and and things are going to change and let's see what that let's see what the effect is because the 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 premise of the movie you've seen it yeah. you haven't um is that people are biologically changing but david kronenberg is saying okay that doesn't stop there if someone if people are changing then the way they relate to the world is going to change so art's going to change and sex is going to change uh and and, and surgery is going to change sex and surgery are the same thing uh in in this world. Um, Uh, And so I think there's something, like, about that, just, it's more, I feel like I'm talking shit about Annihilation. I really like Annihilation. I don't want to be one of these Alex Garland, like, naysayers. Sure. Um,
2: (laughs) are you (laughs) gesturing towards me? Yeah. I love Annihilation.
0: Oh, I thought you didn't like Annihilation. No. Oh, okay. Sorry. I think that, because I remember, I think it won the BP for Best Adapted Screenplay, and I think you took issue with that, but you... Okay. But you still said. I had it, I a had, I had competition or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love Atlanta. Okay. Okay. All
1: right. So, um, now I forgot what was, uh, how, the, the, where I was going to wrap up that 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 point of uh, of comparing it to Annihilation. Oh, well, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> great. Everything turns out great. Um, oh, oh, I was on to something there.
0: Uh, anyway. I can't think of what it was. This is what happens when you assume things about Scott. He's always going to throw you (laughs)
2: for a loop. Throw you right off track. (laughs) Uh, But anyway,
1: yeah. um, on top of all that, the movie is uh, way more fun than I think people are talking about it. Because it's essentially a a noir movie. Mm -hmm. And it has a a kind of like that dark fun of like let's dig into this underworld and, and, and see what happens. And it has some funny lines which is not at all uncommon to david Cronenberg's uh yeah uh movies um uh
2: yeah i'm really like beating myself up that i was like working toward a point in and I, like, the performance well i'll just take over uh yeah. and the performances are like constantly towing a line between being ridiculous and like gravely serious which is always a lot of fun um i mean kristen stewart is the most like wasn't expecting that choice as soon as no, pops yeah. on
1: screen There, like there was a but for her first line or two yeah. that I was like, "Am I on board with this thing?" Right?
0: <laughs> but it it really works Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So I'm so frustrated because again, I see a lot of stuff through my like AMC pass, and it was I had a lot of AMC theaters for a while. Yeah, I think I missed my window as I'm far sure as you that did. goes. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: yeah, no, I was really into it for pretty much all the reasons, you know, and I think the three of them give some of the best performances of the year, Vigo and Kristen Stewart and, uh, Lea Seydoux, who, Leah Seydoux, like, suddenly out of nowhere became this amazing actress who I love. I always dug her and, like, but she was always just kind of, like, a nice presence and, like, suddenly, like, with France and everything since then, it's been, like, yeah. the Lea Seydoux show and everything she's done has been, like, incredible, and now I'm, like, super excited for any new movie she does.
1: Yeah, um... Did you see um, uh, what's the movie that I'm thinking of? This is like ten years ago. Um, great. <laughs> queen of Versailles, is that what it? No? Uh, no, or Queen of Versailles is the documentary. That's the documentary. No. Farewell, my farewell, my, farewell, my queen. That's yes, what it is. I saw that. Yes.
2: Anyway, she's great in that. Um, yeah, no, she's always been good. I just feel like somewhere around the time of France, like she developed into a real artist with her acting. Like it became not just like playing a character, but like figuring out like an aesthetic mode to exist in that um, is more kind of like. Uh, it's less trying to, like, invest in, like, a world and more trying to, like, present something to the audience and, like, compel you to watch her. Um, Yeah, you mentioned those three. um, But you know who's great in the movie that I think is just
1: not as big a name, so not getting as much uh, uh, press, is Don McKellar, who plays uh, Whippet, Kristen Stewart's, like, boss. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, like I like him a lot. Who is that? The name sounds familiar. Uh, He's in a lot of Canadian movies. Okay. (laughs) He's a very Canadian man. (laughs) Um...
0: he looks familiar i'm sure i've seen him is in somewhere. last
1: night blindness this says he's in existence but i've not seen existence in probably 20 mm-hmm. years so uh i couldn't tell you whom he plays in in that but uh yeah he's really good too okay my point is will
0: be lost i'll think of it like, i will give I'll you think of yeah. Yeah, two,
1: two movies later and
0: okay. i i'm giving you permission if you think of it while i am talking yeah. I, I will not uh speak for scott if you think of it while i'm talking just feel free to raise your hand, and we'll get back to you. No, you can oh. interrupt me. I interrupted you.
2: So there you go. Yeah. Fair trade. All right. Uh, my number four is Andrea Arnold's Cow, um, which uh, I think both David and I saw at Fest last yeah. year. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's one. this is one of those 2021 movies right, for me. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was great. Yes, it is, I think, her first documentary, um, and one that she brings more of like what I got to know from her previous work to this film, that I would have expected. It's, um,. I guess it's about a cow. I mean the title suggests as much, but like I can't tell cows apart, so there could have been multiple cows playing this one cow. Um the, stru- the movie is structured as the life of a single dairy cow. Yeah, I, I just I feel like I kept being like, Is that the same cow? I think
1: you and I had this conversation on our AFI sure, yeah. wrap-up of both trying to figure it out, is
2: it one cow the entire It's a real Milo and Otis situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the very least, it does present the standard life of a dairy cow, whether or not it is a single cow. Part of the point is that most of these cows live A very predictable and structured and uh, designated lives Um, and which she I mean her camera is like so nimble and really gets into the pens that they live in and kind of like presents it all from like a cow level view like it's rare that we're seeing things higher than them Um, She'll put us like on these weird like milking machine giant structures like rotate them around, which I don't know why they have to rotate. Maybe it's just to keep the cows like from going insane or something. But like it's all these like very contained environments that um, you do start to feel like kind of uh, sheltered into and like stuck into and and kind of imprisoned by. And then at the same time, they're like playing pop music like at maximum volume. And again, I don't know if that's to keep the cows from going insane or just like to entertain themselves. But it's kind of a juxtaposition she's played with a lot before in the way that, like, people try to, like, um, ignore the structural systems that are keeping them down by investing in music or, like, um, kind of aspirational culture and try to, like, convince themselves that their lives are better than they are. And, like, when you take it in that context, put up against a dairy cow, it starts to be very damning, I think, of people especially that we should be able to see outside of the system, you know, animals arguably aren't smart enough to do so um but we're all kind of stuck in the same like loop of like keeping ourselves entertained until it's life of a dairy cow inevitably we die um so uh andrew arnold never won for a pick-me-up but um i was like super um compelled by this and really thought it not only had a lot to say but it was just a very like fascinating experience to watch in terms of the way she told the story is very loose but in the way way she explored her subject
1: uh yeah i haven't seen it since november but um yeah i uh, really really enjoyed it as well
0: all right next up my number three is robert eggers the northman uh i mentioned before that uh when talking about the batman that uh it's a film that is Maybe not necessarily at its core, but a big theme is just sort of the destructive nature of vengeance. Uh, you get to the Northmen, and that is the that is what it's talking about. Uh, and but of, and and so I. I do know that like I tend, when, when doing these lists, I tend to kind of fall into what the film is about and its themes, and, and those tend to be what resonate with me the most, and I don't talk quite enough about the artistry. Uh, and there is a lot that I love about The Northman. I love that it starts out so simple as any, as any vengeance story probably would, which is like, this is the bad person. I'm the good person. I need to punish the bad person seems pretty straightforward to me uh and then but the thing is like some a lot of vengeance stories uh i'd say 80 percent of them starring uh, charles bronson uh they stay at that level of simplicity uh this film certainly does not the more uh the the more in depth the story goes the more you realize like this is so much more complicated like to such an extent that you start to wonder it's like do I even want this guy to keep pursuing this? Like it is how he's defined his life up to this point. But at the same time, like it's not like he's an angel. Like he's done plenty of things in the world that uh, should be visited back on him. And so I, I just love that complexity. And then there's the idea that the people that he clearly sees are the victims might not even be that. Like there might not even be, a victim. There's only, he, except except himself, certainly, uh, but even his own perception of things can't be trusted, and I think that's such a, and and to put that at the core of a of a big bombastic, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a mainstream film, uh, but certainly the box office would certainly suggest. It, right, watching, oh, but no. it, but it was it was touted as that. I mean, like if you if you watch the trailers and stuff like clearly they want they yeah. wanted this to be a gladiator type I think movie. they wanted to get in like the Game of Thrones audience sure yeah sure mm. um, yeah because they didn't they didn't steer away from an R rating or anything yeah. like that it's it's still uh, clearly a movie for grown-ups but even so like um, it, it is not by any stretch a simple film and I didn't think it was going to be um, because of the director. But yeah, the idea of having this this big you know this bigger than life movie that has this level of complexity is something that I find perversely enter- entertaining because you never quite know. Uh, well, in my case, I found out uh, <laughs> who in your theater went in expecting sure. something very different. <laughs> um, and uh, but so thematically, I love it. But also, it's just. Uh, I was a little bit skeptical. I certainly didn't think this was Robert Eggers selling out, or even really compromising, but making a movie of this size and this scope, I found myself thinking like, not will he be able to pull it off, but will he just be a little bit, will his sensibilities be a little bit diluted? And I don't think they are. Um, in, In its dialogue, in its characters, and in, in a lot of its imagery, I think it's a gorgeous movie, yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. And once again, great sound design there as well. Um, and so, and, and I, I like how, okay, so I'll tell this story and I don't want, I, I won't say the name of the friend, um, cause it's somebody that I care about a great deal. Um, but, uh, you know, in my, in my, uh, little corner of the world, which is, uh, I guess not that little in Los Angeles, maybe it is, but, uh, the world of like Christians that, that like movies, um, the, uh, there's a friend of mine who, who really likes movies and, and is, is very open to movies and, and, and he and I talk movies a lot. Uh, he went to see this with his wife and he, and they both liked the movie a lot, but they did talk about like some of the like imagery, uh, from a, from like a, 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 a sort of pagan standpoint. And he said like, just the film's like full on commitment to like just showing the, these characters belief system that he just, he said like, oh, I wasn't really ready for it. It's not something you see very much. He goes, and it, 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 it kind of got to me a little bit. And again, that's not to put anything on him. He just wasn't expecting it. That's fine. He had not seen the witch. I should note. <laughs> um, and, but when he said that, I was just like, yeah man because I hadn't seen it yet and I was like this is uh, this is exciting to me because any movie that delves into like another culture especially an ancient culture and just it's very possible to look at that culture through the lens whether you're a Christian or not but through the lens of like Western Christianity and and in, and in doing so commenting on kind of the weirdness of it whereas I feel like this is a film that commits to showing us the world from this care these characters Points of view, and that's something I really appreciate. Something that probably will create a certain distance between the film and its and the audience. Um,
1: well, but depends on the
0: audience. It Depends the on the audience. Yeah, um, but it, if it's if it's the mainstream audience that the studio wanted, right. then I see I, I could see them not being alienated by it, but just being like I, I can't find a foothold here to to like grab onto something. Uh, mixing metaphors, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I just it's it's exciting to see. It, it does feel like it's just it's it's Robert Eggers just continuing to do what he does and I was a little bit worried mm-hmm. that that might not happen at this scale and I it, think it still does
1: uh, I do think I'm mostly am with you I do think that he it feels like he had his foot on the brake a little bit as far as the weirdness and insanity like I feel like they're current- a lighthouse yeah. Well, that's that's, a, that's, that's a, for sure. That's yeah. the thing I like so much with The Lighthouse is that the movie goes insane along with the characters. Yeah. Yes. And I don't feel like I ever quite got that level of of abandon. But the things I did like about it are exactly what you're talking about. The way that it uh knows that you're going to be viewing it through a modern western morality lens yeah. and over the course and I think this is part of the reason it needs to be as long as it is because a hefty movie. Yeah. It it almost like deprograms your morality as the movie goes on that's that's what I that's what I responded to uh,
0: with it and so that's things like yes the film doesn't go insane uh you don't go insane along with characters like in the lighthouse but you do go on a journey of deconstruction as the character does he doesn't necessarily go insane but he has such a clear idea of things at the beginning that he does not have at the end and we do go on that journey with him so it it I think it does exactly what Robert Eggers always does which is brings us along it's just doing a different thing it's moral philosophy as opposed to just sanity and and the lack thereof so i I adored it
1: Uh,
0: i I didn't really like it
2: (laughs) um i didn't think scars cards compelling enough to carry a future i think part of the reason everyone responds to nicole kidman scene is like oh that's a star who can compel our presence or compel our attention um I don't. Th- I, I like him as an actor. I don't think he's a compelling enough figure to anchor the movie. And there was, for as much action as there is in the movie, there's no tension in it at any point. It's like presenting a series of, I'd say, too well choreographed action scenes. There's a lot of times you can see some like kind of like, resisting the sword a little mm. bit to like make sure they don't clobber the guy. But it's wide takes. So you can like mm. see it all happening, and it kind of like just needed a little juice in it, either from the star or from like the set pieces that I just wasn't getting. maybe it needed more Bjork. Well, every movie does. Well, There's yeah.
0: just the one, Bjor- and probably a bit more Willem Dafoe.
2: Well, that's yeah. always true. Yeah,
1: but I mean, this is. I mean, you know, York uh, swore off acting after mm, yeah. Angel in the Dark, and uh, I think she did a good job in her one. Yeah,
0: very sure. important scene. I do think yeah. the whole cat. I, I think he's. It is interesting when I think of the film. I think he's a he's a good anchor for the movie, but he's ne- he's not necessarily the character I think the most about. Yeah. But that's not uncommon for a movie like that for me. Like, I think Ethan Hawke was great. Obviously, Nicole yeah. Kidman. I forget the name of the actor who plays the uncle, but I thought he was great. Pius
1: Bang. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I think it's yeah. Pius Bang. Yeah. Clay.
0: Clay. So yeah. Old Clay, I call him. Um, but yeah, I feel like the, the, the whole supporting cast is, is definitely memorable. And he is what a lead character often is in a movie like this, which is just sort of our, our entry point
1: all right are we on my number three yeah. yeah oh my god this is i've been talking too long I'm we sorry. are all uh, just a bunch of windbags uh my number three i'm hoping maybe we can just put a pin in it michael bay's
2: ambulance yeah we can
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> oh boy can we this is one i'm sad i have not seen oh man you should be okay so um, we're on to number um, three yeah then. my
2: number three is uh director with a very unfortunate name charlene bourgeois techette oh boy literally spelled this exactly like that uh Anaïs in Love. Um, It's her debut feature. Stars Anaïs de Moustier, um, who's one of my favorite French actresses working and who um, has kind of developed a persona in her French... I say French films as though she makes films in other languages. I think she only makes French films. As the developer persona in her films of kind of being very reserved and demure and like very much an observer in a lot of the films she's in. Here she's a very overt and outward and exciting and excited character. Um, she plays a young woman who uh, isn't really sure what she wants to do with her life, probably like late 20s, maybe 30, um, and just kind of darting around to a lot of different things. It, it, David just had a very like excited reaction. Did you, Do you just remember? remember? What, you remember what you wanted to say? No. I oh, just realized the
1: girl you're talking about is the girl from Bird People.
2: Yes. And uh, like I a movie that I love so much. Yeah, Bird People is a wonderful perfect yeah. example of the classic Demoustier persona. Yeah. Um and yeah, she kind of reminded me of like a Max Fisher type who's involved in like way too many things. Um and but almost like at, at hyper speed. She's constantly like running from one thing to another and like on the phone and trying to make excuses for why she's not where she's supposed to be because she's off on some adventure when she's supposed to be in a volunteer gig or supposed to be at her actual job. Um, and as the title suggests, it mainly is about how that kind of personality translates into a love life. And she's kind of going between a few different guys at the start. Um, she has this kind of like long-term boyfriend who she's constantly like disappointing and leaving behind. She's having an affair with an older guy who she's also not that into. And then she starts to develop what becomes a crush on this older woman, Um, but at first she's just like really excited to be around her and doesn't really understand why, and it kind of has this great sense of discovering... Um, What that sensation is like. And it's not in a way that's like discovering like a sexual identity. It's just discovering a new side of herself that she hasn't quite figured out. And it might be something that only applies to this one woman. It might be a way that defines the rest of her life. Um, But a lot of what the movie taps into is this sense of a point in your life where you can be opened up to something new and can like discover something new about yourself that you haven't quite figured out and which you don't know where it's going to go. And a lot of it is about holding on to that feeling and trying to sustain it and trying to see where it can go. Um, and it's just a beautifully, beautifully shot movie. Um, colors are really popping. It probably shot on like 16 millimeters something. has a great kind of grain sense to it. Um, great French countryside kind of vistas. Um just a really, really charming film and a great showcase for, like I said, one of my favorite actresses.
0: All right. So moving on to my, uh, number two, a film that is, that, got me out of a fairly deep depression that I was in for like a week and a half. And uh, movies can do that. Not to suggest the film is uh, perfect by any stretch. I think it is joyfully flawed. And that is the Daniels everything everywhere all at once. Um, if you are- One of the big ones I haven't seen. Oh, boy. You know, it's interesting, though. I will say, uh, while it is obviously a much larger scale than Swiss Army Man, everything i had heard about it sounds like oh they've really kind of moved past some of the more ridiculous and dare i say juvenile elements of swiss army man then you see the it's like nope, nope they have not they're just bigger um there's but in a way that but th- is there I a part
1: where a person has hot dogs instead of fingers
0: there are several parts where that hey, is the case
1: that idea to me is more hor- horrifying than anything in terms <laughs> of the future that that sound that that is like literally like uh, roadblock I'm going to have to get over to watch the movie. It sounds uh,
0: so awful to me. I had not heard about it, and then when you see it, it is jarring and off-putting. Uh, and I will say, this is a weird... This this pushes a very specific button for me. Uh, many years ago, during when I was a comic book reader, and I read... Uh, the Infinity Gauntlet series so it's Thanos versus all these heroes and stuff mm-hmm. and uh, You know the snap that destroy that kills half the people in the universe That's just the beginning the true horrors come when the heroes come after Thanos and he dis- and he proceeds to mercilessly Destroy them in different ways and one of the ways is that Wolverine sneaks up on Thanos and jams his claws into Thanos chest Thanos then stands there. There's a little twinkle in his eyes, and Wolverine's uh, adamantium uh, bones turn to rubber, and he just falls completely helpless uh, to the yeah. side. And,
1: and this kind of stuff is so upsetting. To
0: it's me. very and this is the why hot the dog dude fingers getting, reminded me of the that. The dude getting zoodled <laughs> in Doctor Strange absolutely 2 was so upsetting to me. Absolutely, but that's a different multiverse movie. The one I'm talking about is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and the. The role of hot dog fingers, which is, which ah, winds up being (laughs) one of the more touching elements of the film somehow, Um, because that's the thing is, as much as I actually did like the new Doctor Strange, and I like it more than most everyone I know that has seen it, um, that's, you know, the fact that we only really see maybe two or three other universes it's like, yeah, that's t- that that tracks with this being like a Marvel movie and you don't want to confuse people. This film is not that interested in not confusing people. So it features every conceivable, ridiculous and sometimes tragic universes. And you see them in some cases like everything's the same. Except the hot dog fingers. And then as they're explaining it, they do this uh, smash cut to a 2001, a space odyssey situation where there are monkeys with regular fingers and monkeys with hot dog fingers. And the hot dog fingers monkeys uh, managed to kill with rocks the uh, the regular fingers monkey. So just it's it's funny. It's ridiculous. But at its core, it is also such a such a uh, it reminded me in, in some ways of. Um, I Heart Huckabees, which is another very messy celebration of film and the complexity of relationships. Uh, and it just has such a tremendous heart. Um, it's right there in the title. It's right there, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, this film, like, just the way that... I think what I like... One thing that I like about it, and it's similar to uh, Swiss Army Man, I like this film more than that, um, is this... this in the midst of its immaturity, there's actually a surprising amount of maturity as far as how these characters do interact with each other, where, again, we, we, we think in such binary terms as far as who's right and who's wrong in a situation. Like, oh, a mother says these very disapproving things of her daughter. We all know that means that she is in the wrong. And it's like, yeah, but what if she's factually right Okay. Well then the question is the tone with which she said it and why she said it. So now let's examine that. And is there a way to express this so that it is actually an expression of love and concern as opposed to judgment and a lesser film would just say, she said something that made the daughter uncomfortable, the end bad guy. And I love that this film is willing to show grace and forgiveness. And leave that door open even though it is a process uh, for its characters and I I mean I welled up a couple of times during this movie probably the biggest one is the most is one of the most ridiculous ideas and I'm not even going to go into it because it's such a beautifully conceived scene I'm just gonna say rocks Uh, there's there's a scene with rocks okay and I everyone who's seen it it's like that pretty consistently say that's one of their favorite if not their favorite scene of the film and I'm right there with them it's a it's a it is far from a perfect movie but man I just enjoyed it th- so thoroughly
1: around to me now yes thanks. so all right um number two
2: for me is Cooper Rafe's cha-cha real smooth okay glad you like this people are kind of ragging on it and I uh, I dug it too
1: oh yeah I, I don't know um didn't we <laughs> I went off on that on um The most recent podcast, Uh, I think. Yes, (laughs) Um, that's right. um, But, uh, yeah, and I'll say my initial reaction when I watched it was, I still think I like Shit
2: House better. Which I never saw.
1: Okay. Um, Because I I do think that um, this movie has more of that, like, young writer-director syndrome of it, like, being kind of... uh, uh, I don't know Presenting the the character in a way that's like supposed to be like self effacing, but is really kind of flattering at the same time. Whereas Shithouse actually like he does come across as just like a messed up kid. Uh, here he's messed up in
2: like a more movie friendly way. So that's my only like criticism. I think people wouldn't have that same problem though if he wasn't playing the main part.
1: Yeah, but he's a good actor yeah, for the for the, totally. the things that he's making. Um, uh, this is also the. I mean, I've always liked dakota johnson but this is such a an amazing like just showcase for how alluring she is as (laughs) as a as a a person um but uh what i i'm gonna repeat because i just this is a recent watch and i just did a solo like movie journal so i'm gonna repeat something i said on the movie journal but it reminded me of do you guys know tyler i know you don't (laughs) the lcd sound system song tonight yes and he says like uh, everyone's singing the same song. It goes tonight, 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 yeah. tonight. And he's like, I never knew so many young people thought so much about dying. Um, <laughs> and that's, I thought about that song while watching Cha-Cha Real Smooth. And the idea of, you know, Cooper Wright, Cooper Rafe being, like, the maybe first major cinema voice from Gen Z in some ways. Yeah. Uh, as, as a director, like, living in a world that, like, he's, we are told is dying. You know, the climate is and is, is is killing us and 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 like the future is not promised and i i think he throughout cha-cha real smooth energy house but throughout, throughout Ch- cha-cha real smooth he gets this blend of every moment in the character's lives and every moment in the film is something momentous and also completely disposable at the same time <laughs> uh and and i think that's that's uh it, it it get it got me back into being in my twenties, but I think it's probably even more pronounced to someone who you know sh- shares my like potentially shares my climate fears and stuff sure. like that. I don't know if uh, I don't know if a lot of twenty two year olds are feeling that way, um, but uh, that's maybe I what I was just
2: projecting onto it. Can say that some twenty two year olds <laughs> I know are definitely feeling that way. Okay, um,
1: and and so I, I just thought the the movie was just full of uh, of the bitter sweetness of 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 life in in a way that came um comes naturally it doesn't seem like twee it doesn't seem forced which i think is some of the things people are accusing him of um that's not what i talked about in the podcast last week i talked about uh people like (laughs) still being mad that coda won best picture and now are looking at (laughs) their apple tv plus sundance acquisition yeah that's also very charming lumping them in yeah um, they're very different movies yeah. and I, I like Coder just fine but anyway I settled this last week uh, yeah Cha real smooth um, I really I, I just look forward to seeing more of what Cooper Rafe does
2: yeah I don't really have anything to it. I just found it charming as hell and um, really for all the reasons and like the dialogue's pretty smart it's like engaging and a little clever but it kind of like has people talk over each other and feels like kind of natural in a very solid way mm-hmm. um, yeah I was really into it
1: Yeah, and he's, I mean, uh, he's good in his roles, but also he's really good at casting gorgeous women that, like, (laughs) work, that he has chemistry with. I don't know how he can do it, but, like, it was Dylan Galula in Shithouse, and now uh, Dakota Johnson, who, like... Um, Natalie and I were doing this podcast. It's called "The One Where I Met Your Mother." Mm, heard of it? Uh, and we just we recently got to the Friends episode where the characters are making their like list of five celebrities they're supposedly like allowed to right. sleep with or whatever. And so we had just talked about that, and then I watched Childish, mm-hmm. Real Smooth, and I told Natalie, "I was like, I think I got to update my list."
0: <laughs> 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 mm. I haven't thought about that in a while. I'll have to. I'll have to. I'll get back to you. We should have those kind of conversations on the show so that we alienate all of our uh, listeners. Sounds it, like a good Patreon. That does. That does yeah. sound like a good Patreon. Wait, what would alienate just, our
1: listeners? I uh, just
0: uh, commenting on uh, good looking women. Yeah. And saying like, "Hey, uh, that sounds pretty nice." I, I plan on I plan on adopting a voice uh, okay. the whole time and and uh, chomping on a cigar.
1: Yeah, I guess it's it's a different tone when Natalie and I exactly. are doing it because we're exactly you're getting a male and female. Yeah. and we are
0: actually married to one another, so yeah. maybe we could zoom uh, the aforementioned Paul Goebel in just to really <laughs> sure, complete yeah. the picture. Uh,
1: okay, so what are we on to now? Um, Scott's number, number two. two my
2: number two is Michael Bay's ambulance. Um, I've been a Bay fan for most of my life um, and pretty ride or die at this point. And so I was very much looking forward to this because I knew one, I was like looking forward to another kind of like smaller movie from him. And I knew that he kind of shot this very quickly. He had some larger movie, that he was trying to mount and then the pandemic like threw it all awry and he's like I want to just get out and shoot something and ambulance feels like he just really wanted to get out and shoot something it is insanely energetic and I can't believe I mean he's getting up there in age he's like in his 60s now and he's still like outpacing any young gun in the movies it's like relentlessly moving camera drone shots that are just totally insane unlike anything I've seen outside of like demo videos you see on YouTube um and the The energy of the movie is also matched by the script, which constantly has these, like, incidents that you would not expect from something, from a premise that seems pretty simple and pretty exciting on its own, which is, like, some guys rob a bank, it goes wrong, they hold an ambulance hostage um, in order to get away. Part of them holding hostage is that they have a cop on board who got shot and isn't dead yet but might be dying, and that's how they're able to stave off the police presence. That's exciting enough. That's great. And then they just, like, keep introducing these insane complications that are patently ridiculous, (laughs) but which are so exciting to watch. Um, And all of it's wrapped up in this great kind of, like, L.A. portrait that gets in, like, all this local texture and culture stuff that just helps flesh out the world and helps flesh out the characters' desperations. I don't think, like, it's a side shots of, like, homeless encampments are just, like... Window dressing It's like, this is a real fear that many of Americans are facing all the time of getting thrown out of their homes. Um, and which one of the main characters is indeed facing, not directly th- getting thrown out of his home, he's mainly robbing it for medical bills. But it's, I mean, we're all under financial pressures. And the this is something I think about a lot. And like, obviously I feel terrible for the people actually living on the street, but it does actively remind me how close we all are to living on the street at any given moment and how tenuous um, the idea of any kind of like stability in America is. And the movie gets at all that without, like, being dogmatic about it. It's just, like, there in the texture. It's there in the aesthetics. And it's also about these two guys, Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen. The second. The second.
1: Don't (laughs) get him confused. No. Wouldn't wouldn't dare.
2: Um, (laughs) Not the old man. Yeah. (laughs) Who are brothers but have this very uneasy relationship. And the way their kind of, like, loyalties to each other ebb and flow throughout the movie is, I think, a very honest portrait of the way a lot of families are, of, like, even that, you know, we're not all robbing banks together, but there's ways in which I think our relationships do kind of like become circumstantial and which we fall back on this bedrock trust, but which we sometimes get frustrated with each other. And it does kind of like, it's this constant, like thing that's in motion, much like the ambulance itself. um, But which the movie doesn't try to like dictate or say, like, this is how they feel about each other. This is the way that how they feel about each other might change moment to moment. And it's all informed by their past but um, the movie's just, I think, more emotionally complex than it even will let itself on to uh, allow.
1: Um, I'm glad you mentioned the shots of of, of tents and homeless in, encampments because I think even because I think you're right about all the things that that uh, implies. But just the honesty of seeing it, yeah, for sure. You, you know, I, uh, this episode is just gonna be me talking shit about movies that I love. <laughs> but one thing that's always bothered me about La La Land. Is uh, early on, right before she first like walks into the Bordner's or whatever the bar is called in the movie, and sees him playing, she walks into Hollywood down Vine Street late, late at night and encounters no tents and no <laughs>
0: like that's that. The, when the film's called La La Land, yeah, I'm willing it to kind accept of, of, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but I guess I, I, I'm, yeah, it's like I said, I love, love the movie. It was my favorite movie that year. It's, um, but it's something I, I, I think about, and I think, um, you talked about Michael Bay wanting to just like get a camera and, and, and shoot this I, th- I think there is something there is an urgency because i'm unlike you i'm not a lifelong michael bay fan i am uh generally not a i don't like any of his movies really i mean maybe i have a soft spot for armageddon um but i also haven't seen it since the theater so i don't like need sure. to uh, <laughs> uh break playing at spell. the academy in a couple weeks um okay uh <laughs> maybe i'll go uh, um but uh uh see i keep getting distracted sorry okay no it's my fault i'm doing it um he's uh i i i think that he does there is an urgency to this movie in terms of the he represents michael bay the name represents an era of blockbuster filmmaking big budget temple blockbuster filmmaking that is changing yeah going away like the the way that he makes movies uh, is is going away and so it, it it feels almost like there's an urgency because he wants to like get this done while he still can while totally. someone will still give him uh the money and then there's also to go back to what the seeing downtown la as it exists right now uh is a big part of the movie uh michael bay is an angelino uh a, a native angelino and i i don't think it's uh, some of the things he chooses to do to capture in this movie about downtown, I don't think are coincidental. I don't think it's a coincidence that you get a drone shot around, along the still under construction, Sixth street bridge, something that the viaduct was knocked down against preservationists, uh, protests and even sensing Lens has come out. More stuff has come out about how, what a, like, uh, what, what do people say uh, when something's like uh stuck in the um anyway it's taking forever and costing more money mm. to to rebuild this uh quagmire quagmire is the word yeah. i was looking for <laughs> this this bridge there's also a part um a bunch of cops like cop like police snipers are posted up on the roof of the la times building oh a yeah. building that is now empty because the owner has you know it's a, it's a famous building um i want to say designers william Pereira. i want to say um the architect but uh Famous building, but the owner, new owner of the Daily Times, has moved all the offices to fucking El Segundo. It's an empty building, and they're building uh, towers on either side of it. So literally. The vantage point that the cops have and the shot that we see on the roof of the LA Times building won't be possible within yeah. a, a, a couple of years. I don't think it's an accident that he is. It feels like there's a desperation to like not only make a movie the way he wants while he still can, but also to see downtown as it is now and it will not be. It'll look different very shortly.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, moving on to my number one, yes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. this isn't going to surprise anybody. I talked about it last week. It is Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Um, so I'll, I'll try not to spend too long on it, but I will delve a little bit into, I don't know, it's 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 a conversation that I've been seeing like here and there, and uh, maybe I'm just sort of late to the party, um, that like, all right, so Sam Raimi made a Marvel movie, Michael Bay's got this Ambulance movie out. Baz Luhrmann's making a movie. Like, sort of these... And these are these are big movies, although Ambulance wasn't that particularly big. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. It's a, There's always there's always auteurs making movies, always. But for some reason, I'm not sure. Maybe it's because it's auteurs that we think of as having, like, such a singular tone and such a singular vision um, from their their past movies that to see them all all... And I guess they're all particularly insane.
1: Yeah, don't forget, (laughs) we're we're getting a new James Cameron movie
0: this year, too, to add to to your list. And so the idea of, of, uh, I don't know, just, I don't know what it is about, like, this year, and maybe it's just just certain auteurs that are more on my radar uh, who haven't seen anything like that notable from in a while, but I think it goes beyond that. I am not a Michael Bay fan, and yet I'm sad that I didn't see Ambulance. Um... I was thrilled at the amount of Sam Raimi I saw in Multiverse yeah. of Madness. Not as much as we would see in a pure Raimi film, but so much more than we would see in any other Marvel movie. And it's just, it's just an, and, and when I saw Elvis, certainly from the trailers, like, well, Baz Luhrmann can't not be Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> uh, but going in, and I just thought, like, and I think I was just excited for it, just as I'm excited to see ambulance, even if I don't like it, it's just there's just something so appealing about seeing like these old guys, because they're pretty old now, yeah these old guys coming in and just doing what we know they're able to do and doing it so reliably. Um, I remember many years ago uh, when, when like the idea of uh, found footage horror was yeah. you're right in the thick of it. and there was a film that I reviewed for the site called The Bay which was uh, made by Barry Levinson. And, it's, and it was immediately, like, my favorite of any of those movies because he just seemed to get it. He seemed to understand. It's like, okay, from a storytelling standpoint, uh, this is what we need to accomplish, and this is the order that we need to do it in. And also, found footage. Okay, well, this is basically a, a, a reporter who is assembling all this footage, which means she's going to look everywhere you can find footage, whether it be security camera footage, somebody's uh, Skype call, whatever it is. So we're going to really... I'm not going to think into... We're already limited by the found footage thing, but I'm going to let that be my only limitation. And there's just something about like just these reliable directors who are just like, I'm going to make the movie I want to make. And it's so refreshing these days. And I think this speaks to just me getting older, I think, that like... As much as I, as much as I enjoy a lot of mainstream movies right now, and as much as I have enjoyed like the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, um, and there is a, a reliability to it, but it often feels like it's it's only ever going to get to a B plus, occasionally maybe an A minus, but the B plus is being generous. Um, then you get to something like Elvis, and the same thing that is that is turning a lot of people off. Cause it's not a beloved uh, universally beloved film. Uh, even critics don't necessarily like it. They think it's, it's excessive. And I was like, I'll take excessive Big any job. day of the week yeah. these days. And it's something that I used Especially to in Elvis. Of course. Oh <laughs> yeah. If anything, it's restrained. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even see him go see uh, the president of the United States, a real thing that happened. Yeah. And you have the opportunity. Like I saw the idea of, of, him going to see Elvis is like seems to me there's a real strong potential for a tom hanks dual role of him <laughs> as colonel tom parker and richard nixon if anyone but whatever. do it yeah i think it, and and it's like that feels like a lost opportunity for basil Luhrmann to go even further down his <laughs> own path but anyway um but yeah it's just it's it's such a such a an energetic film that is that is just embraces the spirit of the story it's telling, and also I think, as I mentioned in my review and as I talked about last week, I it it keeps Elvis himself a bit of a mystery because yeah. we, we may know a lot about him, but that's not the same as knowing him. And when you get these American show business icons like a Marilyn Monroe or a James Dean or an Elvis, like they're very well documented, and yet somehow it's like, okay, they all die young because maybe because of reckless behavior of some kind, maybe purposeful, maybe not. And that just speaks to the, my, the mysteriousness of them, like Elvis, or just the, the mystery of them. Like Elvis was such a well-known figure and well-documented figure that I'm sure it shocked people. I, I, I wasn't alive during this time, obviously, but like, I'm sure it shocked people that he would die, especially at such a young age. Uh, and it just speaks as like, Oh, there must've been more going on with him. And I like that, Baz is content to just be like, yeah, there was, we're going to hint at it, but I'm not going to show it to you because nobody really knows. We only know what we've heard. Yeah. And it, it allows that it allows Elvis to retain the mystique that he always had and still has, I think while still showing us a lot of him with that, with Austin Bun- Butler's wonderful performance and these amazing uh, musical performances. And it's just, it is such a, it was such a joy to see, and it's it's two hours and forty minutes. Fucking flew by. Genuinely, when I oh. saw it, I I just cannot say enough good things about it.
2: Yeah, and opposite of my Northman complaint, Austin Butler is like definitely a star and uh, so honor, commanding yes. in the role. And it's a role that needs to be that commanding because Elvis himself, like even if he was an uneven actor, he's interesting in the movies, mm-hmm. and he's always uh, compelling to watch. Um, yeah, I think the main thing it gets at that you can sense in Elvis's work and sometimes kind of notice in, like, the interviews and stuff is that his artistic ambitions were so much greater than, like, he could figure out how to realize. And some of it was just, like, the hole he was pigeoned into um, yeah. in terms of what he, kind of work he was allowed to do. Yeah. And some of it was just, like, he just couldn't figure out a way or figure out that he should be pushing beyond those yeah. limitations. And you can see that kind of frustration build up in Butler's performance. And you yeah. can, that, that was the part that I was really glad they kind of nailed. Because it's not like the most obvious part about Elvis, but it's so present in all of his work and in his music and stuff is you can always sense him pushing a little bit further and
0: wanting to get a little bit further than he is. He never had his Beatles moment exactly, where like yeah. it's this pop thing for a while, still very good, obviously. And then suddenly it's like, you know what? I think we're going to do what we want to do. He never quite does that he gets like close he gets close yeah. but he manages to do it maybe not in the content of what he's doing but in his passion and his engagement with the audience totally. it's like if i'm if i'm going to be limited to these songs then damn it i am going to i'm going to reach a level of passion that borders on like the most uncompromising musicians in the world th- just completely through my performance of these songs yeah um and and that comes through in the performances like his him just feeding off of the audience and feeding the audience big time oh oh i just <laughs> want to watch it right now
1: all right uh speaking of auteurs who hadn't made a movie in a while yeah my number one is a movie i had been looking forward to for a good long time and it did not disappoint me at least it's adrian lines deep water hey mm. right on yeah um yeah, this has been at the number one slot, like, almost the entire year, because it came out right at the beginning of the year. Um, right? Am I right? I think it was March, actually. Pretty early, because, yeah. Oh, I was, that's yeah. early to me, because right. I think of the oh, year as yeah. starting, like, when yeah. the Oscars are over. Of so course, like, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah so, um, uh, again, you've got, Adrian, I mean, look, the last time he made a movie, it was another domestic infidelity drama it was called unfaithful right that's the last
0: time he made a movie and it was was one of the best
1: movies of 2002 so i'm not surprised that deep water is one of the best movies of 2022 so so far um uh, 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 and again you've got uh as with unfaithful but in its own way um you've got a leading man who is a I don't know if you'd quite call Ben Affleck a sex symbol. He was at one point, right? At one point, yeah, sure. Um, Heartthrob. <laughs> and uh, he's in an erotic thriller, but he's playing an incredibly insecure guy. Um, I think uh, this is, I don't know if this quite counts, Scott, as your thing we talked about about actors as auteurs, but I like, I think Ben Affleck is so perfect for this oh, yeah. role in, in in terms of, like, being this, like world beater of a guy like he's super rich super smart um and yet he's uh clearly not at ease with himself uh at at the same time um and the 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 tension comes from from this 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 push and pull of like what we uh uh want to see but also what we want to 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 feel there's you know there's there his marriage down at armis is never it's very like not lively most of the time the only time it has any life in it is when he manages to show some jealousy (laughs) um and that's and and uh, like i was saying you know in a very different way about crimes of the future adrian line is not passing judgment on uh, on this there's a there's a lot of um the way that he films the movie the way he directs the actors that really feels like him like okay we set the stage we have the screenplay and the actors i'm just gonna sit back and wait for the moments to to happen and 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 that's how a lot of um deep water seems to unfold there's a lot of group scenes and 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 party scenes and like most of it in retrospect is working towards the the plot of the movie but it doesn't feel like that in in the moment it it feels like it's just happening and you're discovering these moments between characters along with adrian line and along with the characters them themselves um there's a uh a, th- th- there's there's such a level of skill um from adrian line in, in in this movie that uh again doesn't feel predetermined or overly storyboarded it, it just seems so so natural and 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 honest um but then the movie is also, you know, it it also I don't know how I guess how sexy you find the movie will vary from person to <laughs> to person, but it doesn't under deliver, I don't think, on on the uh, the the sexy parts of the, of
0: the of the promise and uh well that's all that's always been something that I like about Unfaithful is that like it manages to be both like it understands why this would be an appealing thing for her to do like yeah, she yeah and and it, and it puts us in those positions even if we don't necessarily want to be uh and then and then it allows us to mourn with her while still thinking about the pleasure of it like it's a it is a bit of a tightrope that movie walks and I think yeah. it does it. But the, the
1: difference, I guess, main difference between these two movies is that Diane Lane is the the lead of Unfaithful, right. and Ben Affleck is the lead of of, right. uh, of this one. Um, there was something else I was going to say, but... Um, oh, sorry. No, you've also got a great um, supporting cast, um, in including uh, a... <laughs> I find him very funny, Tracy Letts. Oh, sure, yeah, he's pretty funny in the movie. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I don't know if it's—I don't know how funny it's supposed to be. It's not like on
2: paper a comedic, like thing, no. But, but he's also like there's a little insecurity driving him too. Even if he's oh, ultimately yeah. right, there's a, you can constantly feel that he's like I, I want to be right more than just for the morality of it. Well, yeah, I mean not to like
1: I'll dance around spoilers, but his sort of undoing is needing other yeah. people to know he needs totally. someone else to know that he was right yeah and that's kind of what uh, un- undoes him he's like the riddler and, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and also he has one of my favorite lines of, the, of any movie so far
0: uh, fucking
1: autocorrect <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I,
0: gotta, really I gotta see this movie but it sounds it does sound very uncomfortable honestly it's a little uncomfortable
2: yeah but it's also very sexy that's- <laughs> sure. comfortably sexy.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: yeah, there's a part. Isn't that I, just life? Yeah. I, I call this out in my review. Like, when I say sexy, it's not just that there is sex in the movie, which there is. Sure. But, like, there's um, a part in the movie where Ben Affleck and Anna Dahmer's in the in the rare moment of harmony in their relationship, like, share an apple. Like, he takes a bite and she takes a bite. And it's as erotic as anything else <laughs> in the movie. All
2: right. Scott, take us uh, home. No, I was just gonna say, um, that Affleck's really on a roll and um, really seems to have settled in with himself very well, and I hope it continues. I've always been a big Ben Affleck fan, but it's like he always like do good work and then you can see him be a little unconfident in the next next couple of movies and then he'd come back and be like up and down. But like the last four have been like solidly delivering.
1: This is I, I as much as I hate to say this, but you're right. You <laughs> like were right about Michael Bay before I was, yeah, yeah. And you've clearly been right about Ben Affleck before I was, yeah. Because now I'm with you. Like the last duel, so great. Yeah, he, he was
2: fantastic in that. And uh, the Way Back, which made my top ten of that year. Right, he's so good in it. Well,
0: it, it. I mean, I guess there. I guess there were a lot of people that were just kind of generally like anti Ben Affleck in general because I think they saw him as like, like so many other actors, like who started the way he did, which yeah. is like, oh, he's just this pretty boy and stuff. It's like. But then also I mean, there as, was the as early, benefit, like, right? Yeah, I that guess people, that's true. People yeah, people just hated them. But like, I remember thinking, like, even in something like, uh, like Shakespeare in Love, like he's a delight in that, and sure. I remember liking him in Changing Lanes. Like, Changing Lanes is a solid movie. I love Changing yeah. Lanes, and so like, you know, that's that's twenty five years now, uh, uh, twenty four years. Like Shakespeare in Love, so it's like he's been a dependable actor. I think maybe the argument could be made that like just in the name of being a star like there are some questionable choices here and there but i I, feel like he's always been a reliable actor i think it always it also depended on the
2: director a lot Sure. like sometimes you could kind of see him looking for more direction in the movies sure and um when he got it he he was like totally on point um but recently i think he's like started to generate more himself
1: Hmm. speaking of changing lanes before we move on to the the finale here uh like roger michelle's like final movie like just just came like slipped out and like uh, the, yeah, du- what was the Duke Duke and like I I wanted to see it I tried to see it and the publicist was like oh actually we're pushing back the release date and then like I never found out huh. and then my mom just texted me like she saw it in Boise and she was like it's really good and I was like "Ah, I, complete- I completely missed it it's a oh, bummer because yeah. I, I like That's Roger
0: Michelle yeah all right all
2: right number one this better be impressive so here's the thing all right <laughs> um you can say this is circumstantial and political and maybe to a certain extent it is but it's Audrey Duan's happening um I really really like this movie when it premiered at AFI or not premiered at AFI just when I saw it at AFI Fest um it was no movie, when
1: you see it that's the premiere. that's the premiere yeah
2: that's opposite of your system it, yeah, yeah. so like I just saw Rain Man for the first time a few weeks ago just premiered yeah um, no, I'm not a big Rain Man guy I really liked it
1: I'm a big Valerina Galena
2: guy though
0: sorry what Valeria, the woman, the woman in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, who wouldn't be? Yeah. I feel like though, if you, I mean, that that's a film that I think is very solid, and I feel like it has it has shifted over the years. You know, Dustin Hoffman is fully committed to that character, and, and more power to him. But more people i think have assessed it as like as a tom cruise movie yes it's great okay. so he Good. is a great movie. In it. yeah Maybe yes. i'll revisit that
2: all right let's get all back
0: right. to, yeah. to happening happening
2: um so happening is adapted from uh what i understand to be an autobiographical novel um or you know semi-autobiographical novel um about a young woman in 1960 early 60s i can't remember um, in France, who um, gets pregnant and is trying to get an abortion, and as with most places in the early 60s, very hard to attain. Um, unlike most abortion movies, and I feel like I'm getting into David's thing here of talking shit about movies I like, like, I think Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days is as good a movie as has been made this century. Um, but most abortion movies are about how difficult it is to get an abortion, and the circumstances and the kind of judgment surrounding it. Um, this is about that for sure, but it's also about what I think drives a lot of women to get abortions, which is that this horrifying thing is happening to your body. It's out of control and it's going to get worse and worse and worse unless you do something about it. And by situating it so much in that headspace, it makes the stakes of it so much more personal and real and like honestly sickening. I was like nauseous for a good portion of the movie because you can hmm. feel this thing that she keeps putting off and keeps, because she's in her 20s or something. She's still in college and she knows she doesn't want it but knows the circumstances to getting it taken care of are almost impossible and so she keeps kind of hoping it'll just take care of itself kind of thing maybe the stress of it will miscarry or whatever um but the more she puts it off the worse it starts to become and the more kind of like body horror it takes on in terms of like she can feel the effects it's starting to have and how even if she is able to secure an abortion how um, on how tenuous and how uncertain the results of that will be and it's so interior and so personal in that way and it's also just a really good period piece um, so many period pieces especially the 60s are so glamorous mm-hmm. but this is like they're wearing the clothes they're going to wear they're listening to music they're going to listen to but it's very it, it feels more contemporary it feels like the way that people just process the moment and dispose of it mm-hmm. it's not like glamorizing that things were better than uh, in many ways the film depicts things as much worse um and so it's just so much about uh, this young woman, and she's played by um, Anna Maria Virtolomei. Should, should have practiced that beforehand. <laughs> um, but a wonderful lead performance that um, really embraces the interiority. And uh, she plays a young woman who has a lot of career ambitions. She wants to be a writer, or at least be somewhat invested in literature and some find some pursuit in that way. But she's not. Um, She doesn't have a lot of things in life figured out and she's not like smarter than her age or anything like that. It's not overly flattering of her her position in life. It's just like because of that, she's thinking a lot more about the circumstances that she's in and what can become of that and what can become of her life. And yeah, it was like I said, for a movie to make me nauseous through the uh, telling of it is uh, telling of how um, well it's made and the skill in which it's investing in this character's circumstance and... Um again, call political because of the current circumstances if you want, but it, it certainly brought to the fore a lot of um what a lot of what we're talking about these days in terms of what women go through and how difficult a decision it is and how difficult the circumstance it is to be pregnant and not want it um, and yeah, it's an exceptionally well made
0: movie, and I was very, very happy to see it. This is probably an obvious question. Have there been? There has to have been like pure body horror pregnancy movies. Like, obviously, you get stuff like like well, something like, like t- Rosemary, <laughs> like, oh, which I, admittedly I haven't seen, but like, you know, like Rosemary's Baby, you do see like uh, the toll that it is taking yeah. on her. Like, she gets even thinner and all that sort of thing. Like. So, and then you get stuff like Alien, which is sort of evocative of that. What about, didn't but you see Prevenge? I did see Prevenge, but that's, I didn't see it. that's definitely not body horror. Okay, not, okay. Not body horror. But I'm sure there's got to be, and I guess I have to see uh, see that yeah. one. But uh, yeah, yeah, feels like a, feel like I'm missing one. There's got to be sure, at yeah. least seven, at least five that fall under that category.
1: All right, well, um, just because I said I'd do it, I'm going to throw out some movies that are 2021 movies sure. by my by my definition that came out in the U.S. in 2022 that are very good that didn't get mentioned because you mentioned cow, or I, I would have if you hadn't. Um, You're just mentioning it again. Uh, Terrence Davies' Benediction is beautiful. Um, Hit the Road, which is uh, directed by Pana Panahi, the son of Jafar Mm. Panahi, is a uh, delightful family road trip movie that is also kind of a mystery and maybe something a little fantastical science fiction. We don't know. Uh, It it, it teases up, but it's also very, very funny. Fun Um, fact,
0: by the way. Yeah. If I ever glance at a photo of Jafar Panahi, there's a good chance I'm going to see Todd Glass. He looks like
1: Todd Glass. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Um, And then I really loved um, We're All Going to the World's Fair, um, directed by Jane Schoenburn.
2: Yeah, that was one I tried to make time
0: for before this, but did not get around to it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll say what I always say at the end of one of these, which is that like, and I say this so that I can sleep at night. Uh, being, uh, having a bunch of like fairly mainstream movies on my list, which is like, Hey, you know what? There are 14 movies mentioned here. Yes. Cause you guys had an overlap yeah. for one. I'm They're surprised f-
1: that was the only overlap we had. There
0: you I go. guess that's true. Maybe yeah. it speaks to it being a good year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I feel like, you know. If someone were to watch all 14 of these, uh, they'd have a pretty nice little film festival and the year would look pretty good, I think, for the most part. Yeah, I think it's shaping up to be a good one. I mean, there's a lot of
2: stuff that's like a lot of pent up pandemic energy finally getting out.
1: Yeah, I think it's a yeah, I was actually glad you mentioned like the is it a good year question, which like ultimately means nothing, but it's fun to talk about. Yeah. like all this but i yeah exactly (laughs) i had hoped we had gotten there because i wanted to say it does seem like a good year so far but in a weird way to me especially like the fact that i have a michael bay movie in my top three (laughs) that is insane the fact that a Top Gun, like, legacy sequel barely missed the cut for me Yeah, is, yeah. is insane. It, it feels like a weird year where
2: I can't, like, predict what the good movies are well, going to be. And you mentioning Top Gun made me realize I can't predict what the good box office successes are going to be. Like, I did not think people were that eager to see a new Top Gun or that eager to see everything ever all at once. Yeah. And, or mm-hmm. the Elvis movies. And that Elvis matter. is doing okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's all these movies that's like, finally there's stuff that's not Marvel that's kind of clicking. And... Um, even if it's varying levels, of course, you know they're not all going to make the big money. But the fact that Top Gun is the number one movie of the year is, I think, speaks to the fact that people are eager to like see something new and fresh and that's real experience. And it's funny to say new and fresh, right? Like, yeah, like but forty-year-old like legacy. But it sequel.
0: does
1: feel. No, I know. Yeah, having yeah, seen it, I know exactly yeah, what you mean. But I can. It, I was just already anticipating yeah, the. Uh, sure. And I think yeah. that
0: is a pandemic thing. This yeah. idea, it's like. It's like, yeah, I mean, we, we all saw movies during the pandemic, maybe not in the theaters, but a lot of them, and I, I am of the opinion that even the lowliest film probably benefits from seeing in the theater, but nonetheless, there are some films that I feel like maybe don't lose quite as much when you watch them sure. on streaming, and that's how so many people watched movies that like this year, it, it, the idea of being pent up, I feel like filmmakers felt that, Yeah. And I, and, and I think audiences felt that it's like the movies that we're talking about are just these big audacious movies and while there are I, I don't mean to, to pick on Marvel because I do still like a lot of what they're doing but like uh, you know there's not a whole lot of audacity right. to those movies and i think people are just like i'm ready i'm i'm ready to go see movies again and i want to see fucking movies yeah you know <laughs> i Deliver, want to see man. i want to see crazy ass elvis yeah. i want to see tom cruise as big as life <laughs> like that this is the shit i want to see yeah um and that's to me that's very exciting i agree
1: well i'm excited about the rest of the year yeah um, absolutely you can find reviews of a lot of these uh mm-hmm. movies uh at battleship com. you can uh, uh also you can find other stuff there too you can email us at battleship pretension.com <laughs> like i've been doing this for 15 years you can email us at david at battleship com or tyler at battleship pretension.com you can follow me uh uh david on twitter at davy pretension and check out my other podcast the one where i met your mother where uh my wife uh Uh, Natalie and I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met uh, Met Your Mother every week and and compare and contrast. We're on season three, episode eight, um, a uh, truly uh, hilarious How I Met Your Mother episode. Sometimes sitcoms get in these grooves where you start to like you know the characters and so you're laughing the way you laugh with friends and then sometimes an episode will come on and you're like alright oh, this is the art form of comedy and this hmm. is fucking hilarious um, and then uh, yeah, How I Met Your Mother Season 3 Episode 8 which is called Spoiler Alert uh, <laughs> did that for us so uh,
0: you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension Tyler what do you have to plug right now? Uh, you can meet, You can uh, read my review of Elvis uh, at Battleshippretension.com, along with uh, my review of Jurassic World Dominion and I think Shoot. I think because I'm seeing Thor tomorrow, I do not remember the embargo on like a written review. So that when might does be, it come out. Not for like a week and a half. I yeah. Think.
2: It's like, but it could be, it could lift the Wednesday before. Or so right. after this episode yeah. posts. So you might,
0: yeah. So you, oh, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, my Thor review might be there. But also by the time this airs, there will be a review of uh, <laughs> Run, Hide, Fight. Uh, yes i'm just gonna tell you ahead of time uh, uh didn't care for it <laughs> so but feel free to read about this, how i didn't an care older for it movie it is an older film yeah this is
1: part of an ongoing project you can find yeah. at, at, yeah. at, at battle
0: so yeah
2: scott um real quick I, I meant to mention in terms of the box office roundup of big exciting movies rrr also barely missed my list
0: which is <laughs> like i've been seeing so much about is it is that I how people are saying it?
2: it not triple r uh, I think we're all saying RRR. Oh, oh I, see. R- I say I say R. In my head, <laughs> I've been reading it. It's distinctly R. three different letters because it stands oh, okay. for like I can't remember what the R stand for, but it's three different words. Anyway, okay. that's another movie that big word of mouth. People are just excited to watch it. Yeah, I saw it like a week ago. It's been playing for months, and it was still like a packed theater. Um, so great. that was super cool. Um, anyway, me online. Uh, my Twitter's still locked down. I don't know. I'm probably going to keep it that way. I kind of like it. If you want to well, uh, follow me though, just request. I don't care. Wait, what is? Wait, what do you mean by that? Like I have it just set to private, so oh, if you okay. don't you follow him, you can't just Gibson. wander into the feed. Sure. You gotta, you gotta request to follow. That's um That's smart, and but I'm still on Letterboxd and trying to post at least some loose thoughts. So if all you care about is movie talk, and uh, you'll get plenty of that there. Indeed.
1: All right. Well, um, thank you everybody for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.